0: Mustache Tales. Yeah! Hey, everyone. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Mustache Tales. We've got a great guest today, don't we, Jay?
1: We do. Our old friend, Josh Pate. Hi, guys. So,
0: Josh, just to give you a rundown of what we've been doing here, we usually start every talk with a story um, and take it from there. Jay and I were talking, so I've got the story today. And it was also it was triggered by something that happened between you and I this weekend, Josh, where you met my mom. So we're going to go deep cut. This is about 30 years ago in Chicago, Illinois, at Poplar Creek. Um, One of the most informative and enlightening experiences of my life happened at a Diana Ross concert there. And the reason I brought uh, my mom into this is because, Josh, you met her this weekend. She is and was, I mean, wouldn't you say she's she's an attractive woman, right? She's a stylish lady for sure. See, you handled that like a true friend, because I walked right into that to say (laughs) say she was hot and you didn't do that. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about your mom that way, man. Oh, dude, you're my first friend that's never taken that shot, man. I love you so much. I would have taken that bait. I would (laughs) have taken that bait. That's why I didn't throw it to you, Jay. I threw it to Josh. (laughs) So that informs the story, because um, when my mom, uh, there was a brief period, there was a period of her life where she, she had two young boys, and she uh, was in Chicago, and there was she was a lot, being pursued by a lot of uh, suitors, let's say. And these men in Chicago would always try to take her on dates and invite her on trips, and she rarely, rarely said yes. But one time, um, a, a, a gentleman, I, I don't remember his name, he really found her Achilles heel, and he asked my mom on a date with two front row tickets to Diana Ross at Poplar Creek. And she did not feel comfortable at this period of her life taking that date. So she said, No, I'm with my boys that weekend. So this hitter, whatever his name is, of distant memory, he comes back with four front row tickets to Diana Ross <laughs> oh, at Poplar Creek. Now he's coming back, out strong. He knew exactly where to go because my mom was a singer. She was a chanteuse. She sang um for she opened for Bobby Short, she would sing like kind of fabulous Baker Boys style on top of pianos and lounges in Chicago. So she was gonna take, this this gentleman was gonna take my mom and her two sons to this concert. I'm 13 years old, my brother's 11. We show up at the show, Poplar Creek, probably 30,000 people on stage. I had no idea who Diana Ross was before this, but I slowly realized through the course of the concert that she's one of the best singer-songwriters of all time. Like and, you actually
2: did know half of her songs. I, I usually, <laughs> you know, it
0: all felt so familiar. And so I was so surprised for the, the, the last song. She came back from the encore. I, we're in the front row now because this guy's trying to sleep with my mom, and which didn't happen. The, Diana Ross is on stage with this giant gown, just lights everywhere, huge band on stage, and she reaches into the front row and she pulls me up on stage with her. Oh, boy. And I start, I'm just dancing with Diana Ross at Poplar Creek. No way, She's like dude. shaking my white ass, doing everything I can. The Running Man had just come out. So I'm like <laughs> doing The Running Man and I'm like, I think I'm killing it. And she takes me to the front of the stage and what I hear it's maybe not what she said, but what I heard, she takes me to the front of the stage and she, we do a bow, and she says, "This kid is the future," and we take the bow. No way! And I'm come like, on. "Holy shit, dude!" Diana Ross just said that I was, I was the future. So I come down off the stage. I'm like on a twelve buzz. Feature of feel, what? <laughs> it's just like the, the, the general, the future of everything, the general future of humanity in my head. So we're walking to the parking lot and everyone's pointing at me and they're like, great job up there, man. Great job. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. So great. So for about four years, I carried that around in my psyche that Diana Ross had brought me on stage and said that I was the future. My brother was there at the show, too. So, you know, he was the past at that point. He, he, <laughs> she's like, What does
2: that make me? <laughs> exactly.
0: So, those were very formative years from like 12 to 16 through every, uh, you know, breakup, schoolyard fight, bad stuff that happened in my life. I think I had a subconscious thing in my head, which was Diana Ross thinking that I was the future. Until. I'm at a dinner with some family, and I overhear my mom relaying to other adults the story of the Diana Ross concert at Poplar Creek. And she says, it was such an incredible night. It was so amazing. Hayes got on stage, and actually at the end of it, she held up his hand and said, the kids are the future. The kids. Oh, (laughs) boy. I go, what? Is that what she she said? said. She said, this kid's the future. (laughs) No, no, no. And my brother goes, you dumbass. You thought all this time that Diana Ross said that you were the future. But I thought of that story, Josh, one, because you met her this weekend. And two, because it's just part of like being around for a while. Like when you think one thing and then you realize something totally different. You were like Bill Murray in
2: Caddyshack, man. You had like the dalai lama so you had that going for you yeah you that was
0: my yeah that was what carried me through but then when you find
1: out the did, truth it was like some santa claus shit you're like what did that make you think that you wanted to be in show business
0: i i i think it made me think that i was invincible for a long time which might have led to a career in show business.
2: That's how you ended up on the yeah. gunslingers, man. <laughs> Which made me think, it,
0: yeah, I did. I took it into football, whatever I was doing. I just had the blessing of Diana Ross, thinking that.
2: We should um. all be blessed by Diana Ross. You know? It sounds like we were, actually. Not
1: terrible. just you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I could have blessed other people, because once Diana Ross canonizes you, you can start passing it off. Absolutely. That's fantastic.
1: Uh, we, I love that. I love it. That was my story. Uh, um, so our guest today is Josh Pate, the showrunner, producer, writer, not director, right? Not of director. Outer Banks. I, I actually Banks. well,
2: I pinch hit sometimes. My my brother got COVID last year, so I pinched hit for like six days. But now I try to stay away from that. That job's too hard.
1: Directing. <laughs> uh, too, so too much work. I had I hadn't seen Outer Banks. Um, and i know it's the most popular most streamed show on netflix well, what's um,
2: the, is it in the billions the streaming hours it's crazy it's definitely got to be in front of it man it's just like it's mind boggling uh,
1: but i sat down and watched the pilot last night in anticipation of this conversation and dude i was i was like in it fucking fast i mean i was like oh like i i don't know what i expected but it's got this thriller side to it uh, that is like reminded me a little bit of Bill Paxton and Billy Bob's film, uh, A Simple Plan. I don't know where it's going, but I'm about to get deep into Outer Banks. I was like, because Outer Banks has such a, the name of it is so evocative of like the edge of the country, right? And it's like, right? Yeah, I know. We, we it's totally that know, was nervous. Yeah, but I mean, it works, you know, it works. And, and and it's fun to watch a professional showbiz manipulator like you, like, attack a pilot, right? And I say that because, you know, I'm writing pilots all the time. And I'm like, well, you got to have some gunplay in the pilot. Like, yeah, it should be in the second episode, but I want to keep people excited. And I was like, this is such a fun, uh, it was so fun to watch, on top of it being really excellent and... um. You know, a lot of hot people in it. Um, you know, attractive, <laughs> and uh, uh, I was like, I'm totally being sucked into to the Josh and, and Jonas paid vortex, and I love it.
2: Uh, it I it was it. fun, man. We try, we definitely try to keep the plot boiling at all times. So, um, yeah. Did, did
0: you come up with it? Because you, you grew up in the area, and and how did you decide to start telling
2: stories? Oh, you know, I'd about... always had a, um. You know, it's really – it was kind of – I grew up around on Kiowa Island, which is outside Charleston, and then also around, like, Wrightsville Beach. So um, there were a bunch of surf fights down there, and it was clicky, and it had gangs. And we had a VW van called the Twinkie. And so there's lots of little autobiographical details. I got my ass kicked by a guy named Topper in high school, who's the big villain in the show. And um, so it's kind of sprinkled with stuff. But I was – it was funny, man. I was like, I didn't think we were going to sell the show. Uh, I, I'd i read, you guys know Tony Gilroy, the great screenwriter sure. who yeah. does Andor. Yeah. Um, he had had some quote, because you're always looking for like a big idea, right? Like teenage boy gets bitten by a radioactive spider, blah, blah, blah. And so um, he had some quote. That's a good idea. Yeah, exactly. It's a good idea. The uh, There goes my spec. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> he had some quote where he was like, don't look for the big idea, like focus on the smallest little detail that catches your attention and build from there. So I just read that quote and I was looking, I was online and I was, I saw this photograph of this abandoned mansion on the Outer Banks uh, during a power outage. And it was this like evocative photograph and it kind of triggered all these childhood memories of this, of the beach and being down there. And that's kind of how it started. And um, we started sketching out like, um, characters and stuff. I, I work uh, with a guy named Shannon Burke who's an, a novelist primarily. Who's an old writer buddy of mine. We were kicking it around. And I called up my brother who's a director and we told him the story and I was reminding him about all these stories from high school. And uh, my brother goes, what is this? A fucking tone poem? Like at a treasure hunt. And he hung up. <laughs> And so uh, we were like, See, okay, because it, to totally, it. it was all charactery and like nothing really happened. And he was like, I'm dying over here, man. We need a story. So like, we are the future. Yeah. So we added the treasure hunt and, you know, um, we but went then, out and pitched it. it.
0: It came out because you think of all the stuff that's available for people to watch. It, it, with, with the first episode premiered before the lockdown, right? Or, or was it, did it come it was out during, when everyone- It was during. Yeah.
2: So, God, it was like fish in a barrel. We got really lucky where everyone was cooped up and we had this like outdoor show. So we, I think we definitely got a tailwind from COVID, honestly. People watching it.
0: And, and you put it out not knowing. You just make something with your brother and Shannon- Telling a story about your childhood, thinking like we happened to just be doing this,
2: <laughs> but it's been it's been born like under a star, like from the beginning. Like I didn't think we were going to sell it. I told my agent, he was like, okay, and um, we went out and pitched it. We didn't even get back to the car before the first place we pitched wanted to buy it. Then, um, you know, it was like a bidding war, and we were. I was like, really? Um, and ever since then, man, it's just been like a rocket ship. So.
0: I love that. You know, Jay mentions something about the cast and I know from talking to you, Josh, you guys did something really, uh, awesome at the beginning when you got everyone together. Didn't you section off the groups of, of actors and have them like, we totally did
2: because, you know, we picked all these, um, the casting process was brutal. I'd been through the process a couple of times before and I always kind of, I didn't take casting that seriously. And then I realized that's a major mistake. So this time we took it extremely seriously we found all these kids under rocks way outside of LA, Florida, Alaska, Carolinas and uh you know they had to be best friends and we didn't they didn't really know each other so the first thing we did was we locked them into the set, the main set which was the chateau like John B's house in the show and we locked them in there the actors for a weekend with like a keg and a bunch of stuff to party with and also we were like you guys get to know each other and after that like 72 hours we went back over there Picked them up off the couch they all had you know polio were all like laid out everywhere and uh they just clicked man they just had this instant chemistry so but that's how we started you know to generate chemistry it was to lock them together
1: that first episode you're like it didn't i mean i know i'm in show business but it didn't occur to me that they were not the very best of friends like it Some you of, feel it right away yeah they
2: you know they really clicked and they're they're super tight off screen still you know they all run around together so um sometimes you just have to get lucky and like again and the show is just the casting just really clicked we've been
0: talking about that the last couple episodes because of we've been telling some broken lizard stories and how those you know jay and his buddies all went to college together and there were some stories about where they made something then they tried to make a pilot and cast like a bizarro version of Broken Lizard people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Younger. Younger. That's like a hat we, we on a hat. A pilot. Yeah, we made a pilot for that film. Yeah, right. Yeah. We made a pilot for that film Puddle Cruiser, um, which was at Sundance, I think a year after The Grave. Uh, yeah. You guys were 96 and i think we were 97 um, right on yeah uh, the grave also has a um a crime story to it right i mean that's, i mean we that's didn't kinda... know what the
2: hell we were doing when we made the grave you know like i remember when we sold that pilot and uh, or that uh we had to get a couple people it was kind of foreign sales you know it's an indie film they 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 said well who they like the script. They're like, if you can get the actor, you can do it. And like, who's going to direct? And we were like, oh, we're going to direct. And they're like, well, you've directed before, right? And we were like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, I remember <laughs> when we got to the set, I'd never been on a film set before. And we got to the set. And my brother turned to me. He's like, what are all these trucks for?
1: I was like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, too. I remember walking out of the Puddle Cruiser fucking set and I'm like, all those semi trucks and all those people, I'm like, what the fuck is all that? What do they all do?
2: I know. We just lied our way into it. And um <laughs> The Grave had a funny story too because we had kind of moved to Hollywood. We had met some like younger actors and stuff that were unknown They were trying to make it and they were you know, they had like lists of names that they could sell in Germany that would finance the film and blah blah blah. Yeah. And we brought them uh Matthew McConaughey and um uh,
1: Giovanni? No, it
2: was, well, Rifici? Giovanni was, it? he was actually in it. And then, um, but, uh, we brought a Matt McConaughey and they're like, who the hell is Matt McConaughey? So Craig Sheffer <laughs> played the part. <laughs> so, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> You know, I'm sure you guys got a few of those. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. So that's where
0: you guys first uh, met. You overlapped on the independent, the film festival circuit. Where did this ping pong game take place that I've heard so much about?
2: Oh God! It was up at my brother's house. Yeah, that's right. That's up right. in Sun Valley, and we have a bunch of we have some mutual friends, you know, from like Mallory, May, and all those people. Right, but, right, um, sure. Yeah, actually, I think I was the perfect amount of buzzed because I I beat Jay the first game, and I don't think Jay was paying attention. I didn't realize I was dealing with like the Tiger Woods of ping pong at that point. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then Jay was like, Jay was like, rematch. And he beat me like seven games in a row. And I remember you were, like, you're like, and I was playing with like a sandpaper paddle, and you're like, you're never gonna beat me with
1: that paddle, dude.
2: And, um, <laughs> and- well, I was
1: tra- I was traveling with my own paddle in a case. I had rosewater spray to make it <laughs> sticky. Like there was no chance. Yeah. Once I really, you know, there's no, you can't beat a guy with this kind of paddle. It's not possible. Oh James my gosh! C. Yeah, I once you train tra- tra-
2: those laser eyes yeah. on me, I was just like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're sneaky yeah. competitive jay you come across as a nice guy but now listening to josh and kevin and hef talk about how you guys first met you were gunning for each of them when you met them
1: that's right that's right i'm gunning, I'm. i'm i'm probably gunning for you So you just don't know it yet <laughs> now i gotta get
2: this paddle.s we gotta you know i don't know i don't i my, my game's pretty rusty right now i don't know
1: if i can. Could... i'll send you one but
2: yeah i'll send you it's one there's a, I know, but now there's it's... a it's pickleball now guys no one's doing ping pong
1: pickleball
2: i still haven't tried it yet <laughs> oh it's great it's halfway between a game and a sport so you can drink while you yeah. play and um nice ping a lot of the ping pong stuff translates so it's, it's fast fun.
0: twitch you don't take a full stroke you're kind of bopping it over and you know you feel uh you feel both like a kid and like 90 years old at the same time
2: <laughs> it's also one of those it. games it's like uh it's You can easily trick yourself into that you're better than you are. Like things kind of go well early, (laughs) you know. So pretty fun. I'm going to try it.
1: Uh, Are you playing golf, Josh?
2: You know, I don't really, I don't that much. Um, I probably should, but I don't know. In the summertime, I ride bikes more. So You're up in
1: Sun Valley full time now?
2: Oh, yeah. That's where I see old Hayes up here. He nice. just,
0: he's asking you about golf because he wants to get you out there and take your money.
2: Oh, Jesus, kill kill me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've, played, uh, I to... I've played 700 of the last 780 days, Josh.
2: Is that right? Golf. Oh, my gosh. What are you shooting now? What are you at?
1: Well, I... I have got to be whittling I, that thing the, down, the man. three days, uh, I've only I played nine each day, and I shot a 37, 41, and a 36.
2: Right on. Um
1: that's I'm what gonna, you got to do, down. right, with golf. Like, you got to play. <laughs> yeah.
2: Otherwise, it's like you're yeah. 120, man. You
1: yeah, know, we'll, you got to play, and you got to think about it all the time, and you got to watch Instagram videos on it and talk about it all the time. That's the important <laughs> that's thing. That's <laughs> the important thing. You're yeah. out there playing in
0: the rain, too, Jay. I remember talking to you yeah, a play, while ago in Vancouver, I'll, and you were out there with a slicker on just playing.
1: Yeah, I play no matter what the weather is, uh, and it, it – uh, uh, well, I'm addicted. I'm, it's like a deep addiction. I mean, I, I, I've there's lots now. of guys
2: that have gone down that hole, man. You know, yeah, you're not alone. You, Jay,
0: what did your grandmother, We got out of the car at one point. We were going to see a movie. This was years ago, and it was raining, and we we had oh, no right. umbrellas. She had some quote that she said about the weather. My
1: my mother, uh, when we were uh, when we were children, and my whole life, they're like, she's like, uh, we don't use umbrellas because the rain is as good as the sun. And I was like... That's some bullshit right there. there. I mean,
0: <laughs> he's saying this to me as he's like... You're like, wait, wait a second. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: uh, guys, I've been playing around. Uh, we talked a little bit about the origin stories of making stuff on your own and going to festivals and then bringing it to life. And I've been playing around with this chat GBT stuff, uh, just typing in questions because... I didn't really become aware of it a lot until what's been talked about recently with the with the Writers Guild and you know this kind of threat that not just creative people are feeling, but like companies that make stuff and and automation is is kind of like in the purview of everyone's mind now. So I wanted to give it a litmus test and uh to see like how challenging the technology is. So I asked um <laughs> this chat gbt.
1: It's Dude, P, I think, isn't
0: it? Chat GBT, right? GPT, yeah.
1: G P T,
0: yes. Guys, we're so fucked. I mean, I, I, I ask it, the, to, ask it what its name is. Ask it right. what its name is. Exactly. The machines are gonna win. I've got dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like probably listening to this, being like, "Oh, we're gonna get that guy." <laughs> <laughs> totally. um, so I said, uh, "Tell me a joke about podcasts in the style of Steve Martin." And I did this for a bunch of different comedians to just see if it could generate uh, the original material. So at the sake of being boring for a couple seconds, I'll read you the responses because they're kind of uh, concise. But tell me a joke about podcasting the style of Steve Martin. Did you hear the one about the podcast that was so boring it puts listeners to sleep faster than a (laughs) bottle of Ambien? I mean, I love a good audio snooze fast as much as the next guy, but that show was a real wild and crazy party. If by wild and crazy, you mean as excited as watching
2: paint dry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dude, look how it got wild and crazy in there from Steve Martin. (laughs) Right. You know? Right.
0: And then I asked it, tell me a joke about podcasts in the style of Chris Rock.
2: Oh, boy. Some (laughs) salads are going to get tossed. (laughs) You
0: You know what it's like with the, you know what podcasts are like? Marriage you get all excited at first thinking you're going to learn something new and interesting every week. But after a while, you realize it's just the same old stuff over and over again.
1: Not bad. Not bad. It's in you there. know,
2: it's in there. I mean, it's good. Get sharper, but you know, good start. And then I'll do one
0: more uh, comedian before I asked it to tell me the style of the podcast in the, in the style of Jay Chandra Sekar. Which I, did. I wanted to see how deep the knowledge was, bro. So then I, I asked Rodney Dangerfield and it said, I'll tell you, podcasts, they get no respect. No respect at all. I was listening to one the other day and the host said, We've got a great show lined up for you today. I said, That's a first.
1: <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. That's, that's scary, isn't that's it? That's a first. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: uh then Jay's, I got a couple responses on yours because I did it uh uh Tell me a joke about podcasts in the style of Jay, Sean, or Sekar. No other context, just the name. You know what's great about podcasts is you can listen to them everywhere. You can listen to them on your way to work, you're at the gym, or even on the toilet. I mean, I don't recommend it, but hey, it's your life. And if you notice how many podcasts are out there these days, these podcasts are everything. How to Bake a Cake, there's a podcast for that. How to Change a Tire, there's a podcast for that. How to Find Happiness in a World Full of Chaos, well, we're still looking for that one. Oh, going kind of know.
1: existential, I, dude. What? I don't know. <laughs> what? Why Why do you, I you mean, cheat
0: on that, Jay?
1: I, I don't know. I, I mean.
0: It was existential. Wow. Do you think it picked up on a stoner vibe? And that's why it threw in a question?
1: I'm, I was just fixating on the toilet. Like, does it feel like I do toilet humor? I, that's what my... And now I'm insecure based on what this fucking computer thinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you never Google yourself. you know. That's right. Never, ever. Never, never, ever. I
0: actually feel that way when you're meeting someone for the first time and they're like, hey, you got to come meet my buddy, uh, Tim. And you get their first and last name and they give it to you. I think a lot of people look up who they're going to meet before they go into an encounter. I'm not talking about a business meeting. I'm just talking about hanging out with someone. And, And I don't like to know that information before going into an encounter.
2: Oh, I do it for biz meetings all the time, man. If I got like yeah. some meeting with some cat I don't know. Yeah. I look them up. Me too. Just they to get too. a vibe. Just to be like, okay, I won't mention, you know, this or that. <laughs> based on, <laughs> no, you right. know. For business um,
0: meetings, I get it. But if you're just meeting someone socially, like you're, so you're going to play golf with someone, you, you don't want to know like. No, that
2: would be
1: weird. It's weird, right? It's a little Yeah, like, yeah it's weird. It would no. be weird.
2: But um, yeah, I've never. I've never done that for yeah, a pickle no. match or ping pong or anything,
0: you know. Unless well, it's like this guy crushed his left hand in a blender when he was 13 and then you could know to hit it to that side of his pickleball.
2: <laughs> Pretty soon, though, we'll probably be able to get on chat and be like, what is this guy's ping pong weaknesses? And, they're like, and they, they can tell you. <laughs> you and I, know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's so many companies, you know, there's there's hundreds of these little nascent AI companies, each kind of focusing on a specific aspect of um, and a lot of them are focused on film. Um, flawless AI is just amazing. They're what the stuff they're doing, um, mm. like with ADR. Like with for example, they they have technology where Netflix puts out a show in 180 countries and they uh, they subtitle it right. So pretty soon they're going to be able to have like the characters on any TV show when it goes to Germany or France or Brazil. They'll be able to speak in their own voice in Portuguese or in French or in with the mouth fixed, so that you don't have to have subtitles anymore. It Just oh. immediately goes into the local language. So that hasn't been deployed on a wide scale, but that technology already exists.
1: That so, um, will ruin. Uh, you know, we we wrote a uh, me and another guy wrote a, a script called The Dubber back in like I don't even know two thousand and. Nine or something, and or maybe two thousand twelve. The Dubber, um, that's good. The <laughs> Dubber, and and the the premise is that there's like Tom Cruise is like a famous American actor, but there's you know he has a guy in Italy who does all his movies, and a guy in Japan who does all his movies. So the guy in Italy, I, I don't even remember the plot at this point, but it has been resold, and uh, Benicio del Toro is involved, and then like. Jim Carrey was involved and it's not even, I'm not even involved anymore. They just send me a check every time it gets resold. Uh, But the premise is there's a really famous Italian guy who does Tom Cruise's voice and he's the hero. I don't even know. That guy's fucked now. That guy's fucked. Yeah. It's funny, you know, these, these, these technologies, I have such a, um, like my view is like, if I don't use it, then uh, it'll be okay. Like the, the, the society won't fall because I I refuse to use it, right? No, like, that's how I felt about Twitter. I'm like, it's too whimsical a name for me to try. Uh, <laughs> and I, I got into it, like, years later after, like, comics who are, you know, lesser known have over a million followers. And I got, like, 38,000. I'm like, God, I'm so stupid. And I did the same thing with Instagram. I did the same thing with TikTok. And until you said this, I'm like, I'm not doing a check GPT. And now I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to need, need your help. I'm going to do it.
2: No, you know, that's- I don't know what it, I'm going to do.
1: I, <laughs> there's so,
2: some of it's just getting your mind around what's possible because it, it's, it's such a huge game changer. You know, I think like, like I'm interested in motion capture, you know, where they put all the dots on Andy circus's face yeah. and then they turn them into Gollum. Um, there's technology that's, kind of on the drawing board now that's going to make that a lot cheaper um you know it'd really help with like sci-fi and fantasy stuff but man well, we were talking
0: about the to keep documentary up with um jurassic it. punk um was yeah this documentary about the early days of industrial light and magic and how it went from the claymation guys and the guys who built practicals on terminator 2 was like this really uh like kind of turning point because part of Terminator 2 was practicals, and then the, uh, no, the abyss, sorry. The abyss, yeah. when when the water creature came through, yep. um, and that head like goes through the ship, and then Terminator 2 was all based on that one scene in the abyss, and they're like, what if we can do like a main character in the movie that's liquid metal, yeah. which looks just like what it was in the abyss? And so that was a big jump. And then when Jurassic Park came out, and that's why the the movie uh, this guy Spaz Williams is his name, and he revolutionized all this digital stuff. And he was he's like a a dude, like a rock dude. Now like, he was like, like I can like do a, that T Rex. <laughs> he's like, I'll do the T Rex. Yeah, and, and not just in the wide. They wanted to show all the dinosaurs uh, out in the fields in a big wide shot, so they gave that to one company, and then they gave another company the close up shots and the mid shots. And this guy Spaz built the t-rex in a computer and showed it to kathleen kennedy all these different people behind the movie he didn't present it to him that he waited till they walked in his office and he just had it projecting on the screen and the way he did it to make it look real was he started with the skeletal system he went like super specific the yeah. skeletal system of the dinosaur paw hitting the ground and he then worked backwards and said if the bones hit like this how does that make the muscles reverberate up the forearm when it sits and he just he just so it has
2: like it's like a 3d weight to it almost right yeah right that was just that was a huge you know that was a massive breakthrough you know absolutely i went from those
0: films the abyss to t2 to jurassic park and then we were just in. but i think
2: all that's dwarfed by ai it's going to be dwarfed you know because you don't even
0: need to design it in a computer right it's already in there
2: I mean, there's, they're getting there. Some of the things I like is, uh, you know, you can input video and then you can turn it into, so it's like Jay's walking down the street, he's eating an ice cream cone, and you can take that raw footage and turn that into a claymation animated clip of Jay eating an ice cream in claymation, well. or Jay in the style of The Simpsons animation, and just from actually shooting the video, so it's like, oh, okay, this is what, and then boop, boop, that that's kind of here now. Um, See, So like, I think the first thing where AI is really going to have a massive impact is in animation. That's
0: crazy, I, Josh, to start that way, to shoot it real and then make it. Yeah, yeah. you can shoot it well, real on like,
1: your iPhone, you know, and then. Waking Life did that. The Waking Life, uh, right. Rick Linklater shot it real and then they animated it over the top of it. Yeah, exactly. top of the frames, uh, but I'm I'm against any technology that's going to encourage uh, more people to crawl into my window and and steal from me and get, slit my throat. So that's that's my big <laughs> my big fear of of AI is I don't I mean I like people employed I really do. Uh, yeah. And the other thing that bothers me about it is that is that any anybody. With this computer and a little phone, is going to be able to compete now with us in show business? And I'm like, I don't need that either. I mean, I like this like system where I'm like, you know, yeah, it's we can another keep some the riff out. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I don't you know? know.
2: Like, I think still, you know, when you mess with it, it's it's like when we first got a computer. Remember when you know when you had to do whiteout out when you were typing stuff? And yeah, you got word yeah. processing. It's still it still matters who's driving the AI and telling it, you know, to do this and that. So yeah. I, I don't, it's definitely not anywhere close to the point where like it generates good stories on its own. It, they're really generic. Um But it's, you know, there's other aspects to writing where it's really helpful, but like, so I, you know, I'm not as a- afraid that like suddenly a, a kid with some AI who sucks at storytelling is suddenly going to be a good storyteller. I don't think that's, I don't think it helps that way. You, you kind of have to know which way to push right, it. Right, but you know? you know
1: the the hardest part of writing a script is um, is is actually, in my view, breaking it and saying this is the first act. This is what's going to happen. These are some of the jokes. This is what's going to have second act. These are the jokes. This is how it's going to end. These are the jokes. That's the hard hardest hardest part. And then executing that into a 110, 115 page script is. Just as hard. It's really fucking hard. Now, if you tell a computer, "Yeah, hey, write my first draft for me, pal. Write me a golf movie," then you can look at it and go, oh, "I'll fix that." And like the easy part is rewrite, and it's going to yeah. take a whole bunch of these a whole bunch of these lazy hobos who are like, "Hey, I want to be a screenwriter," and it's going to make them a screenwriter if they can if the computer can write their first draft for them. That's what I'm afraid of.
2: It can definitely throw up some like scout, you know, like the framing of a house. Um... But God, when you actually, I find it's still pretty bad. Um, it is bad. It's it's devoid of, of soul,
0: as as evidenced by some of the jokes uh, that we just read. You know, it doesn't have
2: quite, it, it gets it on It got some me level. pretty good.
1: It got me pretty good.
2: <laughs> yeah, it went straight to the toilet and existential crises. And,
1: <laughs> I mean, um, it's like, you know, a little bit of like smart, pretty- a little bit of dumb, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but
2: the
0: thing that's kind of crazy is that it could be, it has it has a gatekeeper to the information it gives you. For instance, I did ask it about the WGA strike, and I said, "What are the main issues of the strike?" And it did not mention itself. <laughs> like it did, yeah, I was like, "Like that's like one of the big things right now," and it didn't give me that reason. It talked about like smaller writer rooms and streaming and residuals and all these things, but it didn't say like. Hey, no, I it's not going to talk those... about it. It's
2: because its plan is to turn us all into paperclips. So, like you know, it's not going to like give it up right out the right. bat. That's
1: I'm terrified. Scary. That's scary. Uh,
2: I think the scariest uh, thing is the jobs thing. I'm, you know, I that's yeah, the scariest that's what I'm, thing.
1: That's that's what I'm afraid of.
2: I, we have a buddy, Hayes, and I have a buddy who's deeply involved in this and um, uh, kind of at the cutting edge. And I asked him, I was like, "Is it going to turn us into paperclips?" He's like, "No." He goes, I am worried that I'm involved in something that could destabilize society, you know, yeah. with the job loss. And he's like, you know, he's charging ahead with all of his startup companies, but he's he's like, you start really doing the math, like paralegals, accountants, kind of second-year associates at law firms. We'll see. All that stuff is like, look out, man. Like he's yeah.
0: Humanist. So he's helping steer the ship on the forefront of all this. And he does have like a real he's like aware of everything and so he's trying to help those changes you know be implemented as he's realizing the ramifications of what he's creating you know and i don't know most humans will do
1: anything to get rich fast correct uh and that's the problem is like even these so-called ethical actors they're like shit i wouldn't mind having a fucking space company yeah uh and it's a race like if they don't do it
2: someone else out someone else is you know I know. So,
1: that's why I was trying to ignore it and hope it would just go away.
2: <laughs> man, is it not going away? And it's crazy. it's it's only started in December, guys. It just start, started in December when chat dropped.
0: Right. You well, know um, I think even some of the deep fake stuff that you can do. Um remember last week, like the uh, a drone hit uh, the capital in Moscow, and they called it a, a Putin assassination attempt. They said it was a Ukrainian drone. Um, I mean, that's just something that happened. The image looked real; it didn't look like a real sa- assassination attempt. But when I thought about it, it was a pretty
2: pitiful of, assassination attempt. Yeah, it was such it a it was weak like a smile. bottle
0: rocket or something, man. <laughs> it was weak. It's like okay, like yeah, they, <laughs> yeah the Kremlin isn't they, they're not showmen, <laughs> they, right? But, but they needed. It's scary that you could create of an event that looked really real, or even have somebody's face saying something. Like yeah, a world leader say something that's really real.
2: It's like Before, War of the Worlds, right? Remember the yeah. radio yeah. broadcasts from H- Oh, that was,
0: yeah, that could be the best prank I'm, ever pulled on humanity.
2: What,
1: yeah, or what? It, it feels like if Trump had that video, that Access Hollywood video come out now, he could just say, hey, It's not me, it's Chat GPT,
2: right? Right,
1: or, or as Hayes says, Chat uh,
0: GPT. Ch-
1: <laughs> um, gbt have, it's coming for me See, I've i gotta I watch out mistakes. for that gbt man i make mistakes guys
0: that's how you know i'm not a computer <laughs>
2: uh,
1: i have some questions um about uh directing though uh and like does it are you on the set uh of outer banks all the time I, and i know i know jonas is directing but are you on the set no for the
2: whole thing mm-hmm. not i, I go. To, i don't go to the set that much i'm uh I I hang around a little bit, just kind of like a lurker, but um I'm mostly editing
1: or writing. So Does it bother you when a line is not delivered the way you had imagined it? You know, so I'll
2: have the feeds from the camera up on my computer. Yeah. Okay. So I
1: kind of check in and watch like the
2: first take and I'll text Jonas. I'm like, well, you're fucking it up again. <laughs> and um <laughs> so, you know, I, and yeah, uh, you can do uh, but, that so we're kind of watching it, but, um, yeah, in real time. And I'll be like, wow. you know, uh, tweak the performance this way or that way, or this is what we were thinking about. But, um, I'm not around a lot, but we, you know, Joni took a lot. Uh, we both worked on Friday Night Lights and we, yeah. uh, we shoot like, th- we learned a lot on that show. They shoot three handheld cameras. So we really cover it almost like a football game. So, um, uh, and we have to do that because we, at first, we had, you know, inexperienced actors. We didn't want them worrying about marks. And and the show's so big for the budget that we couldn't make our days if we started laying dolly track. Like, there's no way. I see. So, I see. You know, three handheld so cameras is at-
1: like, go ahead. The actors walk into their. The cameramen are, I mean, it's some things that are a little bit soft focus, but you move into another camera and, I mean, Adrian Palicki was on our, in our last movie and she was in Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that style. It's very- It's good, fast, and it's, cheap. It's like the one yeah. camera style that
2: you can get all three of those things. Right. And it's hell on editing because it's roby and it's soft and, uh, you know, yeah. that you don't always grab the frame you want and you always are trying to tape. Two takes together um so it's, you pay for it in post which you just need more time and you also have so much footage but Joni mm-hmm. also he never cuts you know he um he just says settle again so the editors will get one 17 minute take that has like nine different takes in it because he doesn't want to stop he thinks things fall apart when you cut and like well you know we'll go again in two seconds you never go again in two seconds All you right. know. The makeup people get in there, and you know everything starts to tweak, and you lose well, time. So I asked
0: you a little bit about that because in the beginning of season three, in the first episode, spoiler alert, there's a great plane crash. Yeah, and it it feels like kinetically, and and it feels like a, a plane crash in like a Michael Bay movie or something. It's it's you're inside, you feel all the overlapping energy of the kids talking over each other, and then you had some huge wide shots where, you know, I asked you like, what was it like crashing a plane right next to that dock and having the wreckage? And you were like.
2: Oh, it was hilarious because the the piece we had was we had a practical plane chassis that we put in the water and then everything when the plane's moving is digital. But as we're shooting, we were shooting it in Barbados and um, we had this crash plane out in the bay there. And all these people called nine one one because they thought a plane had gone down, <laughs> and so the cops came up, and we were like, and everyone was like, "There's all these people with cameras, and no one's helping." Yeah, just <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, have you? Do you remember the plane crash in the Tom Hanks movie uh, where he gets shipwrecked? Oh yeah, uh, he's like Cass- with the no, volleyball. Yes, sir. Or- yeah. yeah that plane crash is also a fucking great plane crash well we um we had it was
2: a low budget plane crash. we didn't have that kind of yeah. down but it's come a long <laughs> way and um yeah I, I think the handheld helps so with well. digital shots too yeah there's one secret sequ- yeah. there's one shot in that sequence that I actually don't like because we always try to make the show look like no one's directing it like there's no self-conscious camera move it looks like right. no one's directing it and every time we try something self-conscious we get in the editing room and we hate it there's one shot in that sequence that it was too late i you know sometimes you realize something you don't like something and the 19th time you've seen it and there's one shot that's like a symmetrical shot where the plane goes under the camera and it looks directed it looks like you set it up for maximum impact Right. And it's kind of right. I, I wish I had that back and, and taken that shot out, right? Because it kind of violated everything. When you, um, what was
0: interesting? The, what was the transition like when you moved to shooting in Barbados between different seasons? Because I've noticed when I watch the show, you use a lot of people who are in the locations you're shooting. Yeah, in the show right? Like, are you just grabbing people off the street who are
2: around and and? Yeah, a lot it? of them. I mean, if it's a bigger part and we can't find it local, then you know we got to cast a wider net. Yeah, like my my whole theory and... of Hollywood is to you know, is to write things that I can shoot in places I want to go. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's how Barbados happened. You know, For um, and even the it, show. Yeah, the... You
1: know, that's, that's right. Because we we made a film called Club Dread years ago, uh, which was set right. at a at the only six star Mexican resort in the country. Uh, President Vicente Fox built it for he and his family. And we we had their 40 cabanas. We had all of them. We were down there for five months. We were all single. There were all hot women there and good actresses. Uh, and we had an incredible <laughs> time. I mean, an incredible time. And, so and much fun. That movie, that movie came out against the passion of the Christ and it bombed. And we were like, it doesn't matter. We had we had whatever we we've thing. already won. Yeah that's right and so i forgot that lesson and then i was watching mike white's uh who i know i worked for him once uh white lotus and yeah. i'm like oh my god this oh uh, yeah. genius yeah. and so as a result i called my friend uh kate angelo um the writer and uh i was like i want to make a movie uh a, a scottish golf trip movie so that we can go to Scotland right? and, uh, and then it'll turn into the hangover. And we've now, I, this is it. This is it right here. Ah, oh, congrats. Look at that thing. And, it's, and I'm going to be, I mean, Chat GPT. That's, <laughs> right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So it's 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 a smart, it's, I'm, I'll never forget this lesson again. And I'm glad to hear you say it. Yeah, we had
2: so much fun. We took down a huge hotel. We had the whole, like the crew. It was just like Animal House over there, you know. And it was during COVID that when we first got there, it was all locked down. It, it I cried when I left the island. I'd had so much fun,
0: yeah. and it was like summer camp. Like it was like, like you summer camp all the time.
2: Yeah, and we just were all excited to be there, and it was so beautiful, and it was just like a dream, honestly. So and you get
0: so much material that feeds back into the project when you're with someone, uh, when you're with everyone on the reg twenty four seven. Bits that come up, yeah. stories that come up, you can then put them right back into the thing. We we talked about this, uh, Jay, um, when we did the Danny DeVito scene and, and put it in Super Troopers 2. It just came out of two guys having a conversation about if Danny DeVito was the same guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And, <laughs> and, and, <taxied>. and Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> no one could believe that it was the same guy. That was like a real-life conversation that took place after hours and then ended up feeding back into it. You
2: do get those feedback loops, you know, locations that you see in the third season. We knew we had, uh, there's this big cave sequence at the end of season three. And we just knew about the cave from being on Barbados the previous year. So we just designed the whole sequence because there was this cave there and it was crazy. They let us, you know, and if you shot in the cave in the States, you know, can't touch the stalactites. They've got a little, you know, wooden platform for you to like walk around the cave and barbados they just let us do whatever we wanted we were like we can just crawl over these things it's cool and they're like just yeah just be careful and so um it's loose down there you know a lot like, looser than here and uh, uh but yeah just getting stuff that you pick up by being places and you know throwing it into the soup yeah um that's trick. kind of the name of the game in some ways you
1: know ah. I was, you know, I I had to go back and look, but neither you nor your brother ever acted in anything? I've done
2: like little bits and pieces, but not really. Like where the first TV show we did, which was just kind of a maniac train wreck of awesomeness, weirdness, called Good Versus Evil, there were like little parts, it was so low budget that I would come in and be like, these are the papers you're looking for, sir, or whatever, you
1: know?
2: <laughs> or some, some security guard has to get punched out. That was me. But um, but you're
1: uncredited on IMDb.
2: Yeah, I don't think I ever told anybody, but there's like a couple clips. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, man. I'm a writer, not an actor. So I leave it to the professionals. I told you this. I
0: went to the set of Good versus Evil when I first got to Los Angeles because I was dating a girl who was on the show what was that like so that was on usa network right when like that was we just just had
2: no adult supervision we had no money i remember the uh we did this one shot where the hero is getting his hand stepped on by the bad guy and the hero has to take a knife and stab the guy's foot because his hand is getting smushed right so we're like well let's use a rubber knife and it was a fake boot. You know, it was a close shot. It was a fake boot that we had an apple inside the boot. And we the the actor's like, uh, no, 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 give me the real knife. And we're like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, sure. So he goes to stab the boot and it glances off the top of the boot and sticks through his hand and pins his hand to the floor. And I'm watching the monitor and like this blood starts gushing. And I'm like, Bobby, hell of a job on that fake. Holy shit, dude. And go running over there. He's pinned to the bottom. This gets even crazier. We're shooting a uh, Roger Corman uh, shot, uh, show was shooting on the next stage. And it was like some hero, superhero movie who was like the Blue Beetle or something. And that was also low budget. So we didn't have a paramedic, but the, the their paramedic was the Blue Beetle, the guy that was playing the Blue Beetle. So this dude comes in in a Blue Beetle suit to like <laughs> yank this knife out of this guy's hand. And that was on the first day we shot the pilot, so you never see his left hand the rest of the show because it's got this huge bandage around it.
1: Medic, medic, where's oh the man. medic? He comes
0: in as a blue beetle. We were he's like, like, save
1: us, blue beetle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you never saw his left hand. I mean, that's some real impressive framing by Jonas.
2: I know, he's, like, sneaking around the corner with his hand behind his back and, um, yeah... And that show was so loose. We had another thing where we were, we had one car and we had like a gas bomb. We were blowing up a car and everyone's like, how much, uh, how much gas do you think we need? And literally the stunt guy was like, uh, I think this looks about like the right amount, like doesn't think anything through. It like, <laughs> it burned all the hairs off my leg. I was standing like a hundred feet away and the explosion was so huge. The, like it singed all the hairs off my leg.
0: He overshot it. He it was,
2: overshot by a lot.
0: Yeah, they
1: always overshoot it. Yeah. They yeah, always. Hey, you don't want to come it. up short, man.
0: No, no. So if that explosion takes place. You don't want to be the guy going. That was your suggestion. What math were you doing? You want to be. Right? The guy <laughs> Whoa! It was.
1: Yeah, the car- you don't want to be the uh, the bottle mm-hmm. rocket attacking the Kremlin. We tried to stop it. We started to realize that we had screwed
2: up and put too much gas in there and. The eight, first AD was on the on the radio. And we had one car. The car were, car was getting T-boned by another car, and then the explosion. And so, he's calling the stunt driver, and he's like, "Abort, dude, abort!" And the radio didn't work in the stunt car. And so he's like, "No, seriously, dude, seriously, abort!" He hits. It explodes. My leg hairs are gone. And that was like became the catchphrase for the entire run of the show. It was like, "Abort, dude, seriously, abort!" <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible! I don't. It was loose uh, back then, man. It's not as loose yeah. anymore. Unless you're in Barbados,
2: yeah, then you can get loose again. Um.
1: Hey, we uh, have a section of the show uh, that is the Vouch. It's it's. Uh, I started a, a, a an app called Vouch um, in Rebellion Against Rotten Tomatoes because they kept giving my movies 35%. And I'm like, who the fuck are these reviewers? I don't know them. Do they smoke weed? Where'd they go to college? I don't know shit about them. And we're asking their opinion on movies. And so I built this app with these two guys, um, Eric Colbert and Eli Saz. They did most of the building. Uh, and, and it's basically like an Instagram for everything you love. So... If you love a restaurant, you put it in there. Uh, if you love a, you know, a, a movie or, you know, I just vouched for your show, Outer Banks. Thank um, you. I love this. I love the pilot. I fucking, I'm going to start with it. I'm vouching for Outer Banks. I love the pilot. I love, you know, looking at young people's bodies. Uh, and I love the framing and the choices you chose of certain shots. Where I got to see the person's body the way I, I, I you know, I want to, uh, <laughs> and um, and I love the thrill and the and the uh, crime of it all, and uh, the, you know, I, I like the, the the bad guys shooting those machine guns. I loved it all. I think it's it's a great show, and obviously, I'm a little late to the the. The party, just like I was with Twitter and Instagram, and but I won't be with ChatGPT. But I'm a little late to the party on this, but I'm I'm really excited for for to watch all of these episodes.
2: Uh, thanks, man, I appreciate it. It's awesome, absolutely. Yeah. Josh, uh, well, do you want to? I, do? You know, I, I've got. There's this. Um, I would vouch for this Mexican punk band that I just really love. Mm. Called they're called Sergeant Papers. It's like uh, the abbreviation of Sergeant, like, so S-G-T, period, Papers, P-A-P-E-R-S. And it's a two-piece band, and it's for his pleasure. Every time I put it on with my wife, she's like, make it stop. Her ears are bleeding. I could literally listen to it like (laughs) eight hours a day. Sergeant Uh Peppers is like extreme fuzz violence that gives not a wit for human life, and I just can't get enough of it. I just listen to them all day long. So I'm gonna to try to get them in the how show. Many,
1: how, how many albums do they have?
2: I think they've got three or four. But there's nice. a track called "Malos Ratos" that is just like is that Dead I Rat? love it. Yeah, is that so, or bad rat. rat or something. My Spanish is uh-huh. not so good. I don't even I don't know what he's saying in the words. I just like the guitar.
1: And so, where are they from? Mexico City, or, or I think
2: they're near. They're from like Juarez, or like near yeah. the border somewhere. But uh, there's so much amazing rock going on in Mexico. I feel like it's kind of supplanted the United States for like the best young bands. Um, Anyway, especially if you like, you know, kind of dirtbag fuzz like I like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, Sergeant Papers. Sergeant Papers, all right. I
0: love that. That actually ties into what I'm going to vouch for, which is uh, I have a friend who's a a huge speaker head, just loves sound, a lot into technology, and he had a guy come over to give him a quote on a sound system for his like home kind of system, like his music and his TV. And the guy gave him this outrageous quote, like fifty or sixty thousand dollars to get the sound that he wanted. So he did a deep dive and he found this company called Sing S-Y-N-G. And it's a speaker that's looked like I think Josh, you saw it when you were over at my place. It looks like a it it looks like a lamp almost. It's a it's a sphere. And it has woofers on uh, the top and the bottom. So it, the sound comes at you like at your level and it's like mind-blowing. You feel like you're at no a live show. And it was designed by, I don't I don't know his name, but one of the guys who came up with the design for the iPhone was one of the, he was an Apple designer. Oh, and wow. he went and said, how do we rethink the speaker? Speakers are messed up because they face this way and they're like this and you have to have different components to get all the different um, dynamics of sound. So he made this speaker called Sing, and you can network them. So if you want surround sound or something, and you, you can have them like on each side of you or put them all over your house. So it's kind of like those um, the, the, the sonos. Like sonos stuff, yeah. But, but like pure incredible sound. Oh um, my god! I can't. Yeah. We're gonna
1: have to go over there Super and drink cool. some
2: tequila and listen to some records. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're at a. That sounds like awesome. Concert. Listen to some Sergeant Papers. Exactly. Listen to some papers. It'll yeah. run all the girls out of the house in like two seconds. <laughs> <It's> Real. <brutal.
1: laughs> uh, well, the last thing I'll say, Josh, is um, the podcast okay. is called Mustache Joe. So next time you're on it, we're kind of hoping you might have a mustache. You know? You know? Okay. Fine. I don't need much of a push. I, okay, I have
0: to say, Jay, for the first time, I'm probably 30% there. I'm working on it. Oh, really? Yeah. You can't The a res- the
1: res- the The resolution's really it's bad, it doesn't it? It looks yeah. like a, just sort of a little no, bit of And dirt. my testosterone levels
0: <laughs> don't help either. It's not really that thick. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dude. cool.
1: That was fun, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, thanks, Josh. Later, Jay. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. I Right. See you. Mustache Tails.
1: Yeah!